0: Hello again from the European Association for International Education. This is the EAE Podcast, and you're tuning in to episode number 52 in our series. I'm your host, Laura Rumbley, and I'm so glad you're listening in. This episode is focused on the very timely topic of mental health and well-being, Just last week, on October 10th, World Mental Health Day 2022 was celebrated, and this year the World Health Organization took the opportunity of that annual observance to remind us of their vision for, quote, a world in which mental health is valued, promoted, and protected, where everyone has an opportunity to enjoy mental health and to exercise their human rights, and where everyone can access the mental health care they need, unquote. They also announced their intention to launch a campaign around the theme of making mental health and well-being for all a global priority. I would argue that Stephanie Griffiths, our guest for this episode, has for years been living that same vision and aspiring to that same goal as articulated by the World Health Organization through her many activities as a psychological counseling expert in international education. Stephanie is the recently retired Associate Director for Counseling and Mental Health Support at King's College London and winner of the 2022 EAAE Award for Outstanding Contribution for her work in this area. We actually caught up with Stephanie on World Mental Health Day 2022 itself to learn more about how she's seeing the field evolve and what she thinks individuals and institutions can be doing to more effectively promote mental health and well-being in international education settings. Stephanie, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I wanted to start off with a question about your background and really what led you into the field of psychology and counseling in a higher education context, and when and how did the international and intercultural aspects of that work begin to grab your attention? Sure.
1: So always interesting, isn't it, to sort of discover how people were led into this work. I mean, I initially trained as a teacher and became more and more conscious of the emotional problems that students were exhibiting. And so I was very much drawn into the world of psychological counselling. So I did an additional um, qualification and, and, in fact, another degree in psychology and ended up doing a part time six month contract at King's College London as one of their counsellors. Thirty-four years later, I was still still there and had risen to Associate Director for Counselling and Mental Health Support. And and actually from that, I became really interested in the intercultural aspects of it and became aware of the EAIE. Um, And in fact, what I'd done was set up peer support at King's College. And thought it'd be really helpful to help students who were coming from abroad with their transition. So I went to a Peer Support conference um, in Bremen, in Germany, and became hooked up very much with some really good communicators in terms of intercultural aspects of education and transition. And from that became, you know, took more back to the university and a bit later I was granted a travel scholarship to China by by Kings and went to look at the universities that that we had a partnership with in Shanghai and Beijing which was so interesting, because I learned a lot, really, about the Chinese community. We have a lot of, had a lot of Chinese students at King's. So, you know, from there, I developed more and more programs, really, to help uh, students who were struggling, perhaps, with transitions.
0: Super interesting. So, you clearly have a long history in the field, but I wonder if we might be able to zero in on the recent past for just a moment and you know, without beating a dead horse, as they say, talk a little bit about this COVID era in which we've been moving through. We know that this has had a really significant and challenging impact, particularly on young people. Um, This is a really big topic, of course, but I wonder if you might take a stab at sharing with us maybe one or two of some of the most important developments in relation to student mental health and well-being that you've seen come out of the last two years.
1: Well, well, certainly, I mean, the impact on our young people has been enormous and the impact on all of us has been enormous. But I know a lot of academics are saying, you know, will their students... the ones that they're teaching now ever be the same again because they've had most of them you know that the the time pre-university studying on their own or online and then have come some of them to university where they were likewise studying online so it's been a really difficult time and I think anyone who works in higher education should be mindful really of the impact that COVID has had so in a way it's not a dead horse because it is still very much alive Um, and I think we We've really really got to be very careful to think strategically about the impact it's had so in terms of developments I mean obviously the, the big thing the big change has been that we're now more comfortable working online. having said that of course we don't want to do that all the time but I mean just look at my team for example, and we had three days' notice to take laptops and leave leave King's go home and work online. Now, this was a medium that no one was used to. Yeah, I used to joke that if we'd asked the team to kind of work online, there'd been a lot of discussion. And, you know, maybe a year later, we might have tentatively put our toes in the water. <laughs> but, but now, you know, this time we had to literally do it like that. And we also have to be mindful of the impact it's having on staff, because they were very concerned really about their own well-being. And it was scary to time for everybody. So just going back to developments, I think we are confident, more confident with working online. But I also feel we've got to think very seriously about those who are more seriously unwell. And I don't think any of those actually should be treated Online, uh, mm-hmm. where possible, you know, I uh, the team should be seeing them because you learn so much from body language um, and the, the person in the room. You can hide a lot online, actually. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so um, in terms of developments, I think there's far more research going on and needed for students. Uh, it's really, really important. If I can come up with a bit of research. Sure. Um, it, it is UK specific, but I think we'll find that it's, it's general across uh, Europe and beyond. So Student Minds UK, a major mental health charity, found 74% of students had reported that COVID-19 had had a negative impact on their mental health and well-being at university. Wow. Then 49% said it had negatively impacted their finances. Staggering two-thirds said they'd often felt lonely or isolated since March 2020. And I I think a lot of them are still reporting that feelings there with them because they've lost the ability in many ways to socialise one-to-one. You know, they're more comfortable in a way with online, but we know that's... Really, uh, you know, not good for development. And eighty-two percent said it had negatively impacted their academic performance. So we've, you know, I think in terms of pedagogy, we've got to really help academics think seriously um, about about what we can do to help our young people. Um, And I know we'll, we'll go on to that, but also the academics themselves.
0: Exactly. Really some incredible statistics there about the breadth of that um, effect across a a population that we're so concerned about. Indeed, you've mentioned staff, you know, as a key piece of this puzzle. And my understanding is that you've described your work um, at King's College as being as focused on mental health for all staff as it is on student well-being. Because in doing so, staff are better equipped to support students and have more capacity to look After each other. I wonder if you could talk us through this approach a little bit and why you feel it's so important to to take both sides of that equation into consideration when we're thinking about mental health and well being in the higher education context.
1: You surely, it's a, it's a really important topic and very interestingly at the EAIE conference in Barcelona we did um, we did a campfire and a lot of the academics were saying how they were struggling really with the way of teaching some academics were saying that uh, you know students just weren't attending any in person lectures that they were putting on they were more comfortable being on the screen the difficulty also was that academics were saying that a lot of the, the students weren't even putting their cameras on. Oh, yeah. You know, they were just kind of this, this, this kind of blank on the screen. And it's incredibly difficult to relate to just names on a screen rather than live people. The effect on the academics uh, now, I think, shouldn't be underestimated. And I certainly am encouraging, I'm sure you are, thinking of doing, you know, more to support staff through the EAIE. Because I think um, staff support is is, is vital. Uh, all through the pandemic, we as a university focused very much on the effect on staff, mindful that if they weren't well enough, really, to, to support their students, then uh, well enough in kind of mind and, and ultimately body, then they, you know, they couldn't actually do a, a good job. So in terms of the support staff, i.e. those staff members who are actually working with students in terms of their mental health and well being. We had regular check ins, kind of regular sessions to make sure they were looking after themselves, that they were doing everything that we were telling the students to do, i.e., mean, <laughs> where possible, go out, run, keep fit, you know, yeah. within the guidelines, obviously, at the time, um, look after themselves in terms of uh, their food intake. Um, talking to each other Um, we we, even though we couldn't see each other in person we had regular online check-ins you know with cameras cameras on Um, you know um, so you know I think from that we've we've got to continue this dialogue with staff members so support members support teams and also academics, because uh, you know, we mustn't underestimate the effect it's having on academics. I think we're very good at looking after the, the, the support staff because that's our work. But I think we've got to extend it to ensure that, you know, they're, they're kind of they know how to support their students, because quite often a student will contact a member of staff saying they're feeling mentally unwell or challenged. And sometimes they'll contact a member of staff saying they've they've tried to take their life. You know that just comes in an email on a Sunday afternoon, for example. and I, th- I think academics have to be helped to process this, to think how to to manage that effectively, and know that there's always somebody there to uh, to look after them and, and guide them through it.
0: I think that's such a nice message on the one hand of practicing what we preach, you know, if we're giving advice to students to also take that same advice ourselves, but then also the extent to which we are all connected to one another and really relying on one another. And if one part link in that chain is unwell or unhealthy, that can inevitably have an effect on others. And we need each other. So important to be well. Super interesting. You previously mentioned some statistics that applied to the UK context. We had a little look at the 2022 International Student Barometer and saw there that more than one third of international students responding to that survey had reported feeling stressed. At the same time, only one in six students reported using counseling services Mm. at their institution. So kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about that potential disconnect. We have a sense that in recent years, many institutions have invested quite heavily in improving their support services for international students. But perhaps there's something about that, the way that that work is being approached that um, is maybe not reaching the right students at the right time. I wonder if you might be able to talk a little bit about how you think institutions might improve in this area or kind of fine-tune the way that they connect with international students in particular in need or internationally mobile students.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good point, Laura, actually. I have to say, just to, just to backtrack a little bit, you know, whereas there was a fall in happiness in, as a barometer during the pandemic, um, uh, the ISB did actually comment that the stress and anxiety leveled, levels had remained fairly constant over the last three years. So it'd be interesting actually to look more at that. And online and offshore students appear to suffer the highest. Well, no surprise there, really, because of the level of... in-person support but in terms of the investment um, I think it's really really important that more investment is put into um, on two levels you know base the base level so that I mentioned peer support earlier but training students really effectively in how to talk to other students and you can have a group of students who are there to sort of meet and greet but also perhaps have a presence at the university so that students know they can go to their peers in confidence because quite often it's the peers who get the who, who they can talk to first and then the peer supporters will know exactly how to refer on to more focused services But at the other level, I think there should be more investment made, um, as, as we've had at King's actually, in either, we could either call it student at risk or student of concern, as we've called it, where everybody across the university knows how and when to contact somebody if they're concerned about a student. And there's a big debate, certainly in the UK, about the appropriateness of contacting family members. And my view is that it shouldn't just be that we contact family members if, it, if we're concerned about the student, but there should be a proper, fulsome discussion really with relevant parties, um, academics, support staff, um, heads of counselling, etc. Because occasionally the problem can be with the family. So it's not necessarily the best thing to go calling the family and saying we're concerned about the student's level of suicidality. But more often, we do have to consider a student who is seriously at risk and is reluctant, perhaps, to to galvanise support for themselves. And as we know, I mean, I don't think the UK is alone here in having a massive demand really on health services. So it's not as easy as saying, right, refer off to the health service because, you know, they've got a long waiting list. So we have to think about how best we can support that student in the moment. Um, And what we've done, certainly at King's, is is sometimes call in uh, relevant professionals from outside the university, get their advice and try and get that support around the student. So, you know, so in terms of investment, you know, low level, definitely, because the more we can make mental health a sort of talking issue, um, you know, the better it is so that students don't feel so isolated and alone. And then to top level, teach everybody how to, to get that support Um, And at King's, we've got um, an online form, um, academics or other support staff fill in. And then it's referred through to mental health uh, professionals who will contact the student actually and say, look, there has been a concern raised about you. Um, And whereas you may think that could be counterintuitive because the student would just say, don't want to know, quite often they'll say, um, it's it's such a relief to know that you know my, my problems have been picked up. And then we can work together with that student and try and get them the help they need.
0: You've touched here upon this idea of really educating everybody about the possibility of issues and then, of course, the availability of resources to support them. I wonder what you think about this idea of having more students more regularly study a bit about well-being as a part of their normal coursework Mm. as a key way of improving how they cope with stress and understand, you know, the issues that, that they may be dealing with. We've seen some similar discussions in the area of climate change awareness and action. If we were to embed more of that information across all kinds of curricula, that would be a really interesting way to educate a generation of individuals about those issues do you see you know a potential for that to work in this area of mental health and, and well-being?
1: I certainly do. And I, I think actually, you know, you've mentioned climate change. I think linking it with the kind of what what's worrying students what's the anxiety about because you know climate change is having a a severe impact really on our our current current student population you know the world really because they they're saying you know what's what is my future you know what what is happening here and of course that affects their mental health and well-being so you know just the whole focus of study what am I studying for you know I think to bring it all together and have sessions where you're actually looking at the effect of all these kind of external realities on students, uh, I think will be really important. So to embed that in the curriculum is, is an excellent idea.
0: Well, Stephanie, based on your experience and the, the really vital work that you're doing, it is no surprise to me that you were the recipient of this year's EAE uh, Award for Outstanding Contribution. And I can't let you get away without congratulating you on that. And also just thanking you very, very sincerely for taking the time to talk with us today about the work that you do.
1: Well, Laura, thank you very much. And obviously, huge thanks to the EAIE for for the award. I I really didn't feel I I deserved it half as much as as my my steering group. I mean, they've they've been absolutely amazing. It's the steering group of the guidance and counselling expert community and full marks to them as well. But, But thank you.
0: Wonderful. Talk to you again soon. That was Stephanie Griffiths, the former Associate Director for Counseling and Mental Health Support at King's College London and winner of the 2022 EAIE Award for Outstanding Contribution for her work with and for the EAIE community in this extremely important area. Our session notes for this episode contain several links of interest in relation to this topic. We hope you'll check those out. In addition to mental health and well-being, we know there are a range of other topics and skills you may be keen to develop to advance your career in international education. Registration is open now for the EAE's Autumn Online Academy offerings, so we hope you'll take a careful look at those training opportunities. You can see all the information on our website at www.eae.org. We're also looking for you to bring your expertise to the table please consider submitting a proposal for a session for the EAE's 2023 annual conference and exhibition in Rotterdam. The deadline for those submissions is November 4th, 2022. That's it for this installment of the EAE podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we'd be delighted if you'd like or share us on social media if you've enjoyed what you've heard here. A new episode will be available two weeks from now. Until then, all good wishes to you from the EAE.